Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Humans today are mosaics. Our genomes are rich tapestries of interwoven ancestries. And with every fossil discovered and every DNA analysis performed, the story gets more complex. We're the sole survivors of the genus Homo. We harbor genetic fragments from other closely related but long extinct lineages. Modern humans are the products of a sprawling history of shifts and dispersals, separations and reunions. It's a history characterized by far more diversity, movement and mixture than seemed imaginable a mere decade ago. But it's one thing to say that Neanderthals interbred with the ancestors of modern Europeans, or that the recently discovered Denisovans interbred with some older mystery group, or that they all interbred with each other. It's another to provide concrete details about when and where those couplings occurred. Aylwin Scally is an evolutionary geneticist at the University of Cambridge. We've got this picture where these events are happening all over the place. So we've got lots and lots of different structured human populations in various parts of the world, most of whose descendants no longer exist today. They're extinct in some formal sense. It's kind of funny. We're building up this story about lots of subpopulations around the world and lots of integration and lots of gene flow. And that seems to be quite persuasive, but it's very hard for us to pin down any particular single event and say, yeah, well, that, we're really confident that that particular one happened unless we have ancient DNA. Ancient DNA really is the most powerful tool in all of this. The events that do get pinned down tend to be relatively recent. They start with the migration of modern humans out of Africa 60,000 years ago. During that time, humans interacted with hominin relatives like the Neanderthals and Denisovans they met along the way. Evidence for interbreeding before then has largely been absent. Now that's starting to change. Joshua Akey is a professor of genomics at the Lewis Sigler Institute for Integrative Genomics at Princeton University. He says in part because of greater computational power, we're starting to see the next wave of developing methods for studying these things. He says that's allowing scientists to start making new inferences from the data. Scientists are looking further back in time and uncovering evolutionary relationships in unprecedented detail. Their findings are complicating the narrative of human history and rescuing some formerly missing chapters from obscurity. Clues are emerging about the unexpected influence of gene flow from ancient hominins on modern human populations before humans left Africa. Some researchers are even identifying the genetic contributions modern humans might have made to those other lineages. It's a complete reversal of the usual scientific focus. Confusing and intertwined as these many effects can be, all of them shaped humanity as we know it. When researchers first recovered DNA from Neanderthal bones, the available techniques for making sense of it were powerful, but relatively simple. Scientists compared ancient and modern sequences, tallied up shared sites and mutations, and conducted bulk statistical analyses. That's how they discovered in 2010 that Neanderthal DNA makes up about 2% of the genome of people today of non-African descent. 
It's a result of interbreeding throughout Eurasia, beginning 50,000 to 60,000 years ago. That's also how they discovered that Denisovan DNA makes up approximately 3% of the genome of people of Papua New Guinea and Australia. John Hawkes, a paleoanthropologist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, says in the first stages of studying ancient DNA, scientists used a simple approach. But that kind of very simple approach isn't very good at sorting out the complexity of that process. Like, when did this happen? How much was it? Was there bidirectional flow? You know, did sometimes the ancestors of modern people contribute to these ancient populations? As more sophisticated methods are introduced, people are testing those more complex things. Population geneticists could backtrack through the DNA data to identify common ancestors from hundreds of thousands of years ago. And they could detect recent incidents of gene flow from the past few tens of thousands of years. But Hawks says that involves looking at a very recent process, gene flow from Neanderthals, and looking at ancient common ancestors. Finding evidence for events in between those is difficult because what you're saying is it's old enough not to be recent, but it's young enough not to be ancient. <laughs> and, and that actually takes, that takes an extra trick, right? That takes okay, we need some way to really be more accurate about this pattern. And that's why these new approaches have some promise, because that's what they're doing. More recent events smear their footprints over the older ones. The DNA sequences left behind from those older events are so fragmented and mutated that they're difficult to recognize and even more difficult to label with a date and location. Adam Siepel is a quantitative biologist at Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory in New York. He worked with colleagues Melissa Hubis and Amy Williams, both of Cornell, to focus on such gaps in the narrative. They were particularly interested in looking for signs of gene flow from modern humans into Neanderthals. That flow of genetic information is harder to study than the reverse, not only because of how long ago it happened, but also because there are fewer genomes to refer to. Think of all the present-day genomes at researchers' disposal versus the handful of Neanderthal genomes left intact or the single genome recovered from Denisovan remains. The challenge again prompted the need for new methods. Using one such new technique, first in 2016 and then again in a study published in PLOS Genetics this month, Siepel and his colleagues found that around 3% of Neanderthal DNA, and possibly as much as 6%, came from modern humans who mated with the Neanderthals more than 200,000 years ago. The same group that gave rise to modern humans throughout the world also furnished Neanderthals with more DNA than the Neanderthals would later give them. Siepel says that starts to raise a question. It's a high enough fraction that maybe when you analyze the Neanderthal genome, you should explicitly mask out or remove those regions that are derived from modern humans, because otherwise you might start to get a confusing story from your analysis of the Neanderthal genome. Basically, you think you're just looking at a Neanderthal, but you're actually looking at a mixture of a Neanderthal and a modern human. And so Neanderthals were part African. That's cool. That's paleoanthropologist John Hawkes. But 
to say that, no, this could be as high as 6% is saying, hmm, you know, that's like saying 6% of the cars on the road that you see are red, but somehow you never notice any red cars. You know, <laughs> that's like, you know, you ought to notice that. <laughs> and, and if our data so far have not noticed that kind of thing, it tells us that there's a lot left for us to find, that we haven't yet found the way to accurately quantify. But more advanced techniques may change that. The finding also adds to the already compelling body of evidence that there were multiple migrations of modern humans out of Africa, stretching back hundreds of thousands of years. Modern humans were thought to have evolved in Africa after the departure of Neanderthals and Denisovans, and to have remained on the continent until their well-known out-of-Africa diaspora 60,000 years ago. But recently, fossil evidence has indicated otherwise. A couple of years ago, scientists reported dating a human jawbone found in Israel to 180,000 years ago. A skull fragment found in Greece is even older. Both suggest there were earlier human migrations out of Africa than previously thought. In fact, with the piece of skull from Greece, archaeologists may have stumbled across a possible member of the long-ago exodus that Sepal and his team inferred in their genomic study. The fossil originally was classified as Neanderthal when it was unearthed in the 1970s. But last year, paleoanthropologist Katerina Harvati of the University of Tübingen and her colleagues analyzed it again. Structurally, it looked somewhat like a modern human skull, but it was estimated to be about 210,000 years old. That's supposedly too old to be modern at that location. But because the structural similarities to modern skulls show up in reconstructive models of the Greek fossil, the conclusion is controversial and will probably continue to be until DNA can be recovered for a genetic study to confirm it. Now, DNA evidence seems to back up this revised migration narrative as well. Here's Aylwin Scali. In some ways, for people coming outside, and I'm one of those because geneticists haven't necessarily had much to say about this previously, it seems quite natural to assume that human populations and evolution were just as messy 200,000 years ago and just as subdivided and structured into different varieties and different groups and populations just as much then as they are today. There probably was also a lot of genetic diversity and perhaps cultural diversity. That's what one is suggesting. Now, that's obviously, you know, that's a sort of a story that I'm painting or, or, or telling, and it's a conjecture. That's not something that we can directly say. But that's where this is heading. It certainly makes it harder to argue that there was some sort of special evolutionary event or genetic event that triggered the evolution of humans as we know them or as we find them in the fossil record 100,000 years ago or as they come into Europe. Humans have been continuously evolving through the mixing of varied populations for hundreds of thousands of years. Paleoanthropologist John Hawkes says it's exciting to see this. Because it's like, okay, now we can say, wow, Neanderthals got stuff from some Africans. You know, the African humans were contributing to these Neanderthal populations. We know something about the magnitude of that. It's in fact a little more than recent people have probably got from Neanderthals. And that's telling us, oh, you know, this is not a weird one-off. This is actually a continuing interaction. But here's what's interesting. 
The only migration that seems to have left modern human descendants in Europe and Asia was the one from 60,000 years ago. The groups that migrated earlier apparently all died out or got absorbed into Neanderthal or other ancient populations. Scally says that's what the evidence we have available today points to. If there were earlier events, perhaps like this one in Greece and elsewhere, they left essentially no ancestry or negligible ancestry in us today. Almost none of our genomes and none of our genealogies descend from those individuals, at least not directly. It might be actually that this via Neanderthal legacy, it might be the only sort of descendants that those people had. Plus, when the Neanderthals then interbred with modern humans during later migrations, perhaps some of that DNA got mixed back into the modern human genome, embedding older signals of Homo sapiens history into the genetic material of individuals alive today. According to Siebel's analysis, that sort of nested mixing seems to have been exactly what happened with the Denisovans. When the team looked at the Denisovan genome, they found fragments of DNA in it from an even earlier hominin, vestiges of some population whose own genome has not been found or sequenced. Siebel says it might have been Homo erectus, which split off from the ancestors of modern humans and spread across Eurasia about one million years ago. We know that Homo erectus lived in Asia and across Eurasia, so it's possible that Homo erectus interacted with and interbred with these other archaic hominins, the Denisova, and that these segments that we're finding in Denisova actually trace back to Homo erectus. So we identified these segments, Melissa identified these segments in the Denisovan genome and attempted to say something about how much of the genome they accounted for and this sort of thing. It's really at the limits of the detection power. This unidentified group made up only about 1% of the Denisovan genome. But that's where Siepel says the story gets a little more complicated. Because the Denisovan genome has also interbred with modern humans and passed on Denisovan DNA to modern human populations, particularly in Southeast Asia, Papua New Guinea, and somewhat also in East Asia. It turns out that some of those very ancient fragments that we hypothesize came from Homo erectus have actually been passed on to modern humans. So there's a small set of these extremely divergent DNA sequences that are present in modern humans. And If our analysis is correct, they would have been passed through two interbreeding events, first from Homo erectus to Denisova, and then from Denisova to modern humans. Genomics professor Joshua Aiki says basically the lesson is that when populations meet, they mix. Serena Tucci, a postdoctoral researcher in Aiki's lab, says the work shows there's more need for more sophisticated computational approaches to make inferences about our past. In Siebel's case, that meant testing a vast number of hypotheses by inferring the branching inheritance patterns of various genes. Other scientists are starting to rely on different probabilistic approaches. Aki says as computation power becomes more sophisticated, these methods will become more and more accessible and feasible to do. He says these models work well because they use all of the features of the data. Siepel now hopes to apply his approach to other elusive aspects of history. He's particularly interested in prehistoric population dynamics on the African continent. 
How did ancient genetic mixing events affect modern African genomes? That hasn't been studied very much. But a pair of researchers reported in PLOS Genetics that humans in Africa interbred with another ancient hominin group, both before and after the ancestors of European and Asian populations split off and migrated away. By the scientists' estimates, DNA from that unknown group now makes up somewhere between 4 to 8 percent of modern human ancestry. That said, Siepel's technique could perhaps provide deeper insights into those statistics and what they mean. For example, researchers studying how that ancient DNA made its way out of Africa into other populations might follow its trail to roughly map out migrations we don't know about yet. Chris Stringer is an anthropologist at the Natural History Museum in London and a member of the research team that studied the Greek fossil. I think Africa is one of the other areas which is going to give a lot more data in the future because it does look like sub-Saharan Africans have got a similar level of introgression, not from Neanderthals, not from Denisovans, but from some other kind of ancient human. And of course, the question is, who is that? Was there even more than one? Quantitative biologist Adam Siepel is using his algorithm to also look for signs of natural selection acting on these DNA sequences. Were ancient hominins any better or worse off for carrying more genes from modern ones? So far, his team has found no evidence for either positive or negative selection in the flow of genes from modern humans into Neanderthals 200,000 years ago. John Hawkes ponders what that means. If speciation were ongoing, I'd expect that there would be bad genes more often than good genes when mixture is happening. Most of this gene flow that's happening is not happening for reasons of selection, and it's not impeded by selection. It's just a signature of populations in contact. That does suggest that the process that we're seeing is not being driven by speciation. And maybe that's a hint that the process of inheritance that gene flow is not being mediated by the fact that these are speciating. What it suggests is maybe Neanderthals actually are us. Different as they are, maybe they're just another version of us. That's something that can be studied in other species as well. Siepel has already started to look into the forces at work in the speciation of certain birds. Here's evolutionary geneticist Aylwin Scali again. In many cases, what we should be doing is taking these more complicated models that we have now developed for humans, you know, this messy picture with lots of reticulation. We want to be taking that and actually applying that to other species and saying, you know, this may actually be how these species diverged so that today we see two different species of bird or whatever, or butterfly or or monkey. Well, six million years ago when they diverged, maybe it was a much more jumbled up messy picture and maybe a million years later there was some gene flow event like the ones we see in humans. Of course, inferring these population histories is a complicated process. Evolution genomics researcher Joshua Akey says there's a limit to what genomics can infer. Sometimes alternative historical scenarios have basically the same effects on the genomic record. And in those situations, even better methods of genetic analysis will be hard-pressed to squeeze answers out of the data. Still, Aki says we're a long way off from reaching that limit. Scali agrees. There is an enormous amount of information in human genetic diversity, so there is plenty of stuff still for us to discover.
Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Jordana Sapelowitz's full article, Fossil DNA Reveals New Twists in Modern Human Origins, on our website, quantamagazine.org. And did you know Quantum Magazine also has another podcast? Check out the first season of The Joy of X, hosted by mathematician and author Stephen Strogatz. Each episode is a window into the inner world of a top-tier scientist or mathematician. Find The Joy of X wherever you listen to podcasts.